Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my. It's just another night for supernatural girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker. I am here with my co-host, PK, Patricia Kirkman. How are you doing? Absolutely fabulous. I've been riding around on the broom all day. You know, nothing else to do. Well, good for <laughs> you. Dusting and cleaning and witchery, whatever. <laughs> Everything is a little crazy getting ready for the holidays. Oh, I know. I've, Today's my my brother's birthday, and happy birthday, oh, Rob. And it's also JFK Jr.'s birthday. And, That's you know, right. there's a lot of con- conspiracy going on around JFK being Jr. being alive. So at some point, we've got to get an expert to come in and dig up the true story on all of this. But there's a lot well, of chatter on it. That's a little concerned. There's too so, many things that we're trying to dig up these days. But the nice thing is we have an opportunity to join together as best we can with family and friends. I know that we're segregated in so many different ways right now. But this month has been all, and right now it's particularly, it's all about family and family issues. And it's about taking care of who and how to make life better for each other. Looking at perfection, we want to be a winner in what we're doing. We want to leave things that are the best of health, the best of ways of doing things. But the best way that we can do anything right now is to share some TLC with each other because it's a difficult time. This is truly a time. Don't give those smiles away for nothing. Put them out there so everybody sees it. The way they can radiate one back. You know, if you smile, others just automatically smile back, even if they're in a bad mood. So it's kind of a great time. Redo and review what needs to be worked on. Feel that you're really finishing up something in a positive way. And take some deep breaths because we really need that to help ground us. Everything has a a lot of tension in the shoulders and in the back because of the stress. The fear of the holiday coming and not being able to be with some of our family members. But most important, we're all together in thought and prayer. Let that be our guide. Let that be our connection. God's not going to fail us now. We just need to believe. That's right. That's totally true. Yeah. And last week, we had William Steckovers on the show. And as you know, he's an amazing trendsetter, astrologer, economist. And he really laid it out in lavender for what our task is at hand. And if you haven't heard the show, everybody, I highly recommend... You go back to the Facebook page and click on that show. It's immediately archived after it's broadcast because William did a brilliant job. It was an explosive show, 
And he did talk about something called the X event. Now, the last time we had an X event, we had World War One. So go back and listen to that show if you have some time to do so, maybe when you're making your pies for Thanksgiving. But it's very informative. Uh, he's He's a great source of information. He has a very high rate of accuracy. I believe it's about 94% when he does his forecast. So we really enjoyed having him with us. We're going to bring him back in a few weeks to check in and see what what else we have to be concerned about. <laughs> but anyway, it's a wild show, and he's a great guest, so make sure you tune in and, and listen to it when you can. Now, the other thing is that I wanted to share with everybody, because both PK, you and I, have heard from some people saying, why are you talking about politics in your show? Well, I'll tell you why. Because it's not disconnected from our own spiritual evolution. It's all connected. So what we look at as hosts is what are the issues we're dealing with as a culture, as a, um, as a person, you know, what's hitting us right now and why. It's all connected, every bit of it, no matter what party you are or who you voted for, what we look at is the dark and the light, the evil and the good. Believe me, we've both seen the evil. We've seen it here on the show where things have actually appeared. So we know what we're talking about with a lot of these things. But there is a spiritual aspect that's very important to pay attention to through all of what's going on in our country today. Now somebody wrote something I'm going to read to you, which I found absolutely profound. I couldn't believe it. I was reading this on social media, and I, I don't know the person's name, but this was on Parley, and what he said was this. Now, I watched the Philadelphia hearings today, I mean, the Pennsylvania hearings today. It was really heart-wrenching to hear what people had to say, but here's what this person said. There is something very prophetic happening in Pennsylvania. It's not a coincidence that the heart of the fraud was done in Philadelphia where the Declaration of Independence was signed and where the Liberty Bell resides. It's also not a coincidence that the Trump legal team presented their case today to the Pennsylvania State Senate in Gettysburg, the turning point of the Civil War and where President Lincoln made his famous Gettysburg Address and the new birth of freedom. I thought that was so on point. I wanted to share that with everyone and let you all know this is where we are with how we feel there's such a major connection and how these nexus points are coming together. There is no coincidence with any of this. So we want to continue to bring you the best of guests, the best of people who are in the know, who do understand all of the digital stuff that went on, all of the other things that have been going on in the deep state. And we want to help to bring awareness and enlightenment. That's what we always do. That's why we have the best guests, I think, in radio for the paranormal. The best guests. And we have one of them with us tonight. And we're going to be talking about President Eisenhower's close encounters with Paul Blake Smith. We're going to bring him on in a minute. But first, I wanted to also share with you, there is a great article. There's always great articles on our Facebook page. So make sure you go there. And check this one out. There's an article from Nexus about a CIA document that demonstrates the remarkable paranormal writing ability of a gifted girl. 
Now, this is a study that happened in China, and it was translated and archived in the CIA's electronic reading room. And basically, they put this girl in an enclosed room, and they had a piece of paper inside a closed container, and she was able to write on that piece of paper with nothing but her mind. So go ahead and check that article out. It's got all the results, how they did the experiment, everything. It's fascinating. So we clearly have abilities beyond what we think we do, and it's always fun and interesting stuff to see what's possible. So that would be fun to do, don't you think, PK, be able to write on a piece of paper just with your mind? Have it a well, I don't think anybody would want my mind writing anything these days. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't think so. I have a hard enough time remembering my name. I put a name tag on house so they know where to send me back. Oh, goodness. Well, apparently this girl's mastered at the age of seven, so God bless her. Go and read more about it. It's a fascinating story. So we're talking about a little bit about our history in this country uh, tonight before we introduce our guest, and we're going to go right into history and all these amazing details of history with our guest. So... Let me tell you a little bit about him. Paul Blake Smith is the author of President Eisenhower's Close Encounters. This was a book just released by Foundations Publishing. And Paul's books also include MO41, The Bombshell Before Roswell, Three Presidents, Two Accidents, more MO41 UFO crash data, And he's got more. He's got many books. Go to Amazon and look at all his books, buy all his books. They're all very well written. This one, I think, is going to be a blockbuster because already, already, PK, this is a number one on Amazon in five different categories. And it just released. It's It's a fabulous book, no question about it. Oh, I don't know how he does it. And this is a lot of research that went into this book. It makes a lot of sense, too. So... This is Paul's fourth nonfiction UFO book, and we're going to be talking about all of the details of this and how we put this story together tonight. So, Paul, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me on, and I'm blushing already. <laughs> well, good, because you're supposed to be. You My ears so are burning. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. We're off to a well, good really. start, like Patricia told you. Yeah, you really are. And I can see why, because both PK and I love the book. I mean, it's fabulous. It's it's so well written. You've done a tremendous amount of research. I don't even know how you got all this information, but we're going to find out. But first of all, a little bit about you. What what drew you to this whole supposed event? There were so many rumors about it. Why did you want to write right. about it? Um, I was born and raised in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. And that's where we had our own UFO crash in 1941. And while looking up information on that, I kept stumbling upon this uh, this story from a few decades ago, uh, one that I really first heard in the mid-1980s. And I thought, wow, what a blockbuster if this story is true. Where is a book on Eisenhower meeting friendly human-like alien beings? And I waited about three decades, and I got fed up and decided, why don't I just research this and write it myself? So I did. Good for you. Yeah, good Good for you. Good job. Yeah, it's really excellent. And there were a lot of surprises in there, I want to tell everybody, because, I, I mean, I was surprised by a number of things that you pointed out. But let's start with who President Eisenhower was. Who was he as 
just a person. We think of him as the greatest soldier and uh, the first five-star general in American history, and he was all of that. But when he was a boy growing up in Texas on a farm, he used to uh, read books on military strategies, and his mother snatched them away and hid them in the attic. Uh, she was a pacifist. She didn't want him learning and, and maybe glorifying war or everything. So he, uh, he kind of upset her by enlisting, but he never saw battle. He never uh, fought in a war, shot any, at anyone, which made his mother happy. But the key thing for Eisenhower was his smarts. He was excellent at strategizing and maneuvers and uh, logistics and getting people together and getting them to agree on a consensus on how to approach battle. And, boy, the Army picked up on that. Uh, he did well um, in the years leading up to World War II. Franklin Roosevelt was the president of the United States. He had a list of 100 candidates to be his Army uh, chief, uh, well, the uh, chief of the European war effort. And over all these other higher decorated Higher-ranked officers, he selected Dwight Eisenhower. And, of course, the rest is history. We won thanks to Dwight's uh, smarts and his ability to get along and get people to um, cooperate on battle plans and maneuvers and fighting the Nazis in Europe. And it made Dwight Eisenhower a national hero. He drew big crowds wherever he went in public, especially they loved him in Augusta, Georgia, where he used to go golfing a lot. It was practically his second home, and we'll get into why that has something to do with the uh, extraterrestrial connection here in a little bit. But uh, we, we tend to think of people lining up to see Elvis or the Beatles or uh, a modern uh, boy band, but uh, when he went places and it was publicly announced, people would go crazy. Uh, he was uh, kind of plain-looking and bald, but he was such a kind man with a, a famously crooked smile, they said, so that people really showed up, and he needed a little extra security when he was in Georgia, in Augusta, and that's where he met up with some Georgia State Troopers, and they come into our story as well. Oh, good. Well, his wife was also adored by people, Mamie. Right. That's right. Mamie uh, Eisenhower was, uh, I believe, from Colorado and married um, Dwight, and they had a child who died at an early age. I it might have been, I think, from the first pandemic, you know, 1917, 1918. Oh, yeah. uh, I lost my big... own uh, great-grandmother in that and another relative. Uh, it was uh, the forerunner of what's going on today, sadly. A lot of people uh, got sick and perished. But Dwight yeah. and Mamie went on to have a son who uh, also entered the Army. He was a fine young man. He just passed away a few years ago. And oh, so uh, when wow. he got... Um, finished uh, with the battle in Europe. He got ticker tape parades and a big welcome, and uh, he worked for President Truman as the Army Chief of Staff in the post-war years, and then he decided, I can do a better job than Truman. I'm going to run for president myself, and he won two landslide elections in the 1950s. I like Ike, is what the country yes, decided. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, didn't his, his uh, marry Julie Nixon, his grandson? That's right. Um, yeah, his grandson, uh, David Eisenhower, married uh, Richard Nixon's daughter, Julie. Kind of a connection there. Richard Nixon, for those who don't know, was Dwight Eisenhower's selection for vice president, and he was for eight years, and they mm-hmm. got along just fine. And uh, Nixon ran for office in 1960 to succeed Eisenhower, and eventually made it to the White House 
in the uh, 68 election, and uh, he had a, a bit of a connection or a UFO uh, involvement quite possibly, and that's the research of my latest book in a kind of sequel, but it's going to take a while. Te- these are teasers now, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Setting a little Good track job. out to the future, but we'll deal with uh, today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, this is, you have pulled out so much interesting information about the events that led up to this whole encounter, and I'll tell you, I'm a believer because of how you put this all together. So how did you start researching this? It was just so much to plow through because it was very much a rumor when you started. Right. Uh, In 1982, there was a a well-written article in the National Enquirer, uh, the tabloid, and it was so well-written and uh, pretty believable that uh, some newspapers uh, around the country, or at least in North America, uh, ran the story, they syndicated the story, and it appeared in a Toronto newspaper and a few others. And it was amazing. It said that President Eisenhower sneaked away from his Palm Springs golf vacation in February of 1954 and went to Edwards Air Force Base where some landed, friendly, human-like alien beings stepped out of some uh, spaceships, five of them, and spoke to Ike in English and offered an educational program to uh, tell people of planet Earth, you are not alone, there are other races, and here we are to establish uh, a good uh, communication with you. And uh, they asked Ike to do something in return, and he turned them down. But uh, we'll get to that in a bit. So the story was written in the Inquirer by a man named Dari Matera, and that's one of the first people I contacted. Uh, I asked him, do you have anything new on this? And he said, I don't have anything new, but I'm not retracting or changing the story. It still stands. Uh, and I started looking up all sorts of tidbits and other pieces of the story and other books, uh, mostly from my public library. And I bought a few and at book sales. I looked in some magazine articles. You can look up things on the Internet and uh, websites and Google this and that. And there's so many puzzle pieces here to put together, but I think I slotted them all into place and presented a really strong circumstantial evidence case that this really did happen. Yes, you did make a great case for this, Paul. And, again, I can't say enough good things about your book. They make a great Christmas present, I'll tell you, for anybody who's interested in history or UFOs, it doesn't matter. I mean, this is a very, very Numbers compelling book. Numerous. Yeah. It's very interesting the way you've been able to segue from one into the other. It's fascinating. Yeah. And uh, I got an is- email just today from someone who got an early copy and said, you just blew my mind. This is a well-researched book full of facts, and that's one thing I try to do. I try to cram, cram in as many facts and sources and uh, you know, as possible, not just flimsy speculation, and do the research and really make it more uh, believable to the readers that they feel like they got their money's worth. And so uh, I'm getting a lot of positive feedback. You can read it on Amazon.com, where, uh, as Patricia told you, we're getting some four- and five-star reviews and some good sales. Yes, really, really good, because, again, this this just came out just the other day. And thank you, a big thank you to Foundations Publishing also for doing such a great job getting this book out at, in such a timely way. 
And it does really feed into a, a lot of things that we're dealing with with the government. Do we trust them? Do we not trust them? Are they telling us the truth? Are they telling us a lie? And you've plowed through so much information to come out with the truth. So, again, this is a big job you took on. But one of the things I have to say, Paul, that really, really, really surprised me <laughs> is the fact that the aliens that he was supposed to have met with were Nordic. So for some reason, and I don't know why, but I always thought they were grays. But they weren't. Yeah, they're not According the little to- tiny big black-eyed bulbous head things that uh, we often associate with. That was not right. the, the description from, uh, uh, and I'll, end, I'll uh, emphasize this, there was an actual eyewitness to the event who spoke up in 1982 and uh, made it into that uh, National Enquirer article. And he said they looked somewhat, very much like humans, but only with a few differences. So they were not little tiny grays that um, uh, had little slits for mouths and uh, could, uh, apparently they uh, seem to have a history of not much empathy for uh, human beings or cattle or whatever they're messing around with. But these were like um, uh, almost what I call cousins of the human race that came down uh, in five different ships. Three were said to be circular or disks, and two were elongated or cigar-shaped, as we often call it. Hmm. Gosh, so... As you started to walk through all this material, you must have hit a lot of things that really surprised you as well. Is there anything you can think of that was the most surprising for you? Uh, one thing that's uh, two things that surprised me, and that gets back to Augusta, Georgia, where the president golfed dozens and dozens of times at the Masters Golf Tournament, the most famous uh, tournament in the world. They just had it uh, here a few weeks ago. They even built Eisenhower a home on the golf course. He loved going there so much and had that special uh, security detail, maybe about six Georgia State troopers. Well, in going through the president's uh, digitized uh, White House records uh, from February of 55, one year later, they said six uh, Georgia State troopers showed up to visit the president on another visit to Georgia in 55 and said, we've got this photograph from February 54 during our visit with you to Palm Springs. And I thought, whoa, there's a red flag going off. What are Georgia State troopers doing all the way out in Palm Springs, California, on the exact date of the Eisenhower encounter at Edwards Air Force Base? That really uh, raised my eyebrows because the eyewitness uh, at the airport at the air base who came forward in that 82 article said there were six bodyguards around the president as he met the aliens. So, uh, you know, jackpot. This this sounds like Eisenhower personally flew in his security detail all the way from Georgia for this one special event. Now, it's incredible. Yeah. It's it's mind boggling. How long did the meeting, the first meeting last? Do you know? Uh, that's a very good question, and I don't know. I would I just guess like 30 minutes when they were chit-chatting, and then the aliens put on a little show. In fact, they put on two different shows, which really dazzled everyone at the base, according to the uh, witness, who said he was an Air Force pilot who had a lot of expertise in aerodynamics, flight, space, or um, space, and uh, air, uh, jet planes and such, and so they brought him in as a special uh, advisor to the president uh, because this sure looked like a premeditated event. It was set up carefully. 
to give Eisenhower the excuse to fly to uh, California and say, well, I'm out here on purely a golf vacation. Uh, kind of don't bother me, uh, media, while I'm golfing. I'm just here to try out these Desert Palm Springs uh, golf uh, courses. So the media kind of gave him a lot of slack. And on the night in question, uh, they threw a big party for the media in the hotel where they were staying. And that's an extra uh, uh, help for Eisenhower to be able to duck out of town without being seen. The media was all distracted at a hotel. And a year later, Eisenhower went to uh, Georgia again, February 55. And the late, great Art Campbell, a fine UFO researcher, found out the same approach was utilized. Uh, the media was given a very distracting big party at a hotel, and Eisenhower was able to sneak out of town to uh, meet again with extraterrestrials, this time in New Mexico. So we see a method of operation from the master strategist. Let's keep that in mind. Eisenhower was a very brainy uh, strategist who knew how to distract uh, people, distract the enemies, you know, in, in World War II. Yeah. And in this case, I guess the enemy was the press, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, well, we've certainly come to know that experience ourselves. <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. And also in your book, you, you talk about President Eisenhower as being very personable and really wanting to solve problems face-to-face. So. Yeah, uh, he's got a famous quote that he grew up, eventually the family moved from Texas to Abilene, Kansas. And he said, in Abilene, Kansas, we all went by a motto there. If you want to talk to somebody, you know, and, and hash out your differences, you meet them face-to-face. He's, I've even watched the video of this on YouTube. So this was another okay. method. He liked going to summit meetings. He did just a few months before the uh, 54 encounter, and he uh, enjoyed talking to folks and try to ration and, you know, uh, ease uh, people, put, it, put people at ease, I guess I'll put it, and get them to... Uh, speak about their problems and let's resolve this so it makes perfect sense for eisenhower to have done the same with some friendly human-like uh, aliens who came down uh, at edwards air force base probably in a mid to late afternoon and they were checked out and while eisenhower was golfing that friday night he got a call and uh, the coast is clear come on out so he was driven to a, a, a nearby airport but not palm springs airport and then he was flown to uh, edwards air force base and they felt it was secure. I'm sure he had some secret service with him, and those six special bodyguards, probably from Georgia. Wow. Now, he had his own UFO sighting on a ship before all of this happened, right? Right. There's another amazing story. It came out in 1997 in a New York City newspaper by a sailor who was on board the USS Franklin Roosevelt. Uh, He said in January 1952, General Dwight Eisenhower was on our ship doing an inspection tour off the coast of France. I believe they were in the English Channel. And one night the ship was really rocking from a big uh, thunderstorm and the waves were rolling up and down. And and during the uh, graveyard shift, uh, General Eisenhower came up, I think, uh, literally in a bathrobe and slippers looking for a cup of coffee. And uh, everyone probably was snapped to attention immediately on the bridge. And while they were standing around chatting, having some coffee, they looked out, and here was this silver metallic craft, circular, hovering over their ship in the storm. It was lit up by the lightning, uh, unaffected by lightning, thunder, high winds, and uh, the pouring rain. 
And, uh, you know, so many uh, UFO sightings take like 10 seconds. You might see a video on the Internet uh, of up to 30 seconds, like, where well, there it goes. Well, right. this, according to the sailor in the 1997 article, it must have lasted at least 10 minutes of this thing hovering over them, hovering uh, near and over their uh, warship in the uh, English Channel. And he wanted to get this story out before um, everyone passed away, which is exactly what the... Uh, the Air Force test pilot uh, in the 54 encounter at Edwards said, I've got to get this story out because I'm the last one alive and I don't want the story to die out. So people did talk, but it took uh, three, four, five, six decades for them to come forward. Gosh, well, and as you also talk about in your book, for military people, there was uh, quite a price to pay if they talked about anything to do with ETs or UFOs, Right. Right. Uh, you can read the book, uh, and you can probably go to other websites, but I'll direct you to buy the book instead, naturally. <laughs> but there were okay. uh, some regimented rules that the, uh, uh, the Army put into place that you will not speak of extraterrestrials in any way, shape, or form subject to great punishment, and that uh, we're going to make sure this does not get out to the public. I think there was a tremendous impact by War of the Worlds by Orson Welles, you know, in 1937, right. yeah. I believe it was, uh-huh. where uh, they felt many Americans panicked when they heard this radio broadcast. And that was a huge factor on Dwight Eisenhower back in his day. He didn't want anyone to panic, society go into chaos, uh, the stock market to uh, drop dramatically if they thought an uh, American way of life was going to be disrupted. He might go down in the history books as the president who wrecked the American economy by releasing this information that extraterrestrials are here, they're landed, they've got advanced uh, aircraft that can do way more things than uh, our uh, jet planes. So uh, he felt it was just for the best to keep it all quiet. Gosh, and they've certainly continued that to this day. Goodness. Mm-hmm. Well, there's, there's, again, there's a whole other aspect to this. So not only did he meet with them, but he started determining policy and how this is going to be handled going forward. And that's where we kind of still are today in some ways. So we're going to take a short commercial break, and we're going to come back and dig further into this very, very exciting story where you have brought us to a whole new understanding, Paul. So, again, we're talking with Paul Blake Smith tonight, the author of President Eisenhower's Close Encounters. So stay tuned, everyone. We will be right back. Pure essential oils, specialized minerals, and a revolutionary anti-aging technology. Astridium combines the best of all scientifically proven ingredients in easy-to-use creams, lotions, and concentrated serums. Astridium's advanced line of products take your skin to a new level of being healthy and beautiful. We offer a variety of collections that address all your skin concerns. The Essential Anti-Aging Series treats and moisturizes your skin for a long-lasting, younger look. The Multivitamin Series promotes healthy skin with high-quality vitamins and minerals. The Sports Series restores skin from cellular damage and stress. Astridian also offers a revitalizing solution for hair and a professional series for doctors and medical spas. Visit astridian.love today and begin your new journey to healthy, beautiful, youthful skin. Astridian, 
Beyond Your Expectations. There are a lot of psychics out there. How do you decide which one is right for you? You look for someone who empowers you, who's practical and spiritually connected, who says, here are your opportunities, here are your challenges, and here's a way to deal with them, and then gives you your own toolbox to make your life everything you want it to be. Hi, I'm Corby Mitleide, and that's how I work with you. As a certified professional tarot reader, I've helped thousands of people for over 40 years through my toolbox. Cards, past life retrieval, numerology, spirit guide conferences, and mediumship. Whether it's career, relationships, finances, or your spiritual road, together we can replace your confusion with clarity. And you'll probably find a little laughter along the way. Visit me at CorbyMitlide.com to find out how to cross your bridge from fear to fearlessness and fly. And tell me you found me at Supernatural Girls for a special gift with your reading. Corby Mitlide, the practical psychic for catching your tomorrows today. Find me at CorbyMitlide.com. That's CorbyMitlide.com. Your property tax bill. Have you seen it lately? It's frightening. Your property taxes are going up while your home value is going down. It's time to fight back and win. For the real truth about the property tax system, get attorney Pat Quintilian's book, Are You Getting Screwed on Your Property Taxes? How to Find Out and How to Fix It. Attorney Quintilian answers all your questions and gives you the facts you need to fight a property tax bill that is spiraling out of control. You'll also read about what happens to property owners who don't check their property records, only to find out too late they're taxed on square footage, fixtures, and even buildings that they don't own. Is this happening to you? Learn your rights. Buy Attorney Pat Quintilian's book today. Are you getting screwed on your property taxes? How to find out and how to fix it. Available on Amazon.com. Are you frustrated with endless mantras, affirmations, and processes that promise to align your life with your dreams only to find yourself years later in the same space where you began? Do you feel like you must be doing something wrong because nothing seems to be working? Don't you just wish that someone could shift your consciousness for you and your life could align with your desires without all the effort? Well, your wish is about to come true. Hi, I'm Carrie Cannon, and I have a gift that allows me to align the consciousness of others to be in harmony with their dreams. The best part is, it requires no particular effort on your part. Upon listening to a consciousness alignment, People have reported instant energy shifts, financial windfalls, soulmate connections, healed relationships, physical healings, and more. To gain access to a free trial offer for my entire Manifesting Miracles library of consciousness alignments, go to commandmiracles.com now for details. Again, that's commandmiracles.com for information about our free trial offer. That's commandmiracles.com. Welcome back, everyone, to Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker. I'm here with my co-host, PK, Patricia Kirkman, a great numerologist. And by the way, it's a great time to get a numerology reading. You can get that at patriciakirkman.com, or you can reach PK right from our Supernatural Girls website. So make sure you do that and have an inkling and maybe full insight about what's coming up for you next year. So... 
Here we are with a great guest tonight. Go ahead, PK. I said great Christmas gifts, too, because you also have a specialty that you have for our guests. We do all kinds of, I do all kinds of life coaching and Mm -hmm. soul realignment and readings and all kinds of other fun stuff. So, yeah, you can also find me at supernaturalgirls.com, so you can contact me there. And also on Facebook or on Twitter, I'm all over the place. Parlay now, as well as me, we I'm slowly migrating us away from the censorship on YouTube and also on Twitter. So, anyways, I'll keep you posted on our handles for all that, so you can join us over there, as well as some of our other good friends that are doing excellent podcasts. So, anyways, tonight, back to our great guest, Paul Blake Smith. He has a brand new book. It is called President Eisenhower's Close Encounters. It's tremendous, and we're going to get a little deeper into this whole subject about how and when all of this happened. And it happened more than once, right, Paul? This wasn't just one encounter. That's uh, apparently a fairly serious uh, allegation, and I think it could well be true. It stems from a uh, 1989 Defense Intelligence Agency document that got leaked in the year 2017, and mentions, again, Eisenhower was part of this, and he got the aliens to agree to uh, a kind of treaty in which they will not show themselves very openly and not land and disrupt a major uh, city or society in general. And in return, they can buzz around our skies a little bit and take some samples and uh, I think uh, even got an air base access in Las Vegas, Vegas, uh, out in the Nevada desert, uh, so they could come and go and uh, study humanity, and uh, that seems like a fairly reasonable uh, treaty agreement. For as uh, someone who said who saw this agreement, Eisenhower's reaction to the aliens was, "Well, how can we stop you? You're so advanced." And it's probably quite true. For um, the aliens put on uh, this dazzling air show at Edwards Air Base to show what their technology can do. Uh, they lifted off and buzzed around in the in the sky at night uh, at Edwards, and probably uh, stopped on a dime midair and floated and hovered and all of that good stuff. And then they put on a second show, and that's kind of what uh, ended uh, any thought that they were going to openly uh, display their abilities to mankind. Uh, I think the aliens overplayed their hand by what they did next. Oh, that's interesting. Hmm. Okay. Well, um, today's technology in the military is that we're studying cloaking and how to hide and obscure things in plain sight. Well, we'd had none of this technology in 1954, but the aliens said, we'd like to show you something else. And while out on the runway by this uh, airplane hangar at Edwards, they made themselves disappear. And uh, the pilot who was there said later in this 1982 article, we knew they were still there, but we could not see them. They made themselves invisible to us, and then they came back, possibly in different uh, positions on the runway. Well, this really caused Eisenhower great embarrassment, and he said, oh, goodness, we cannot have this. You guys are going to have to leave. Uh, Our uh, civilization's just not prepared. We're not braced up for this. It would be a total shock. So uh, he managed to get this agreement out of them, 
And I think we are in this agreement ever since that the aliens are remaining aloof. They don't land in a major city and step out and talk to us, not even ones who look like humans and can speak English in general. Uh, there are very, very few of these kinds of uh, stories. They might happen out in a rural community where there's nobody around, but uh, for the most part, there has been no open contact and communication, and I think the aliens are adhering to Eisenhower's treaty with them. And the other thing you talk about in the book that, again, was very surprising, well, it shouldn't be, but it was to me, that they told him at that time when they met that they were also contacting other governments, not just ours. Yeah, I sure would like to know more about that. I couldn't find it. That might be like the most secure stuff in China and Russia, That the, about the last thing that they would like to release, that they could have been contacted. I understand in 1955, uh uh, a spacecraft landed in the country not far from uh, Lord Mountbatten in England, and that uh, Mountbatten had a private uh, fascination with uh, ETs and UFOs quite naturally ever since, and that even Prince uh, Philip, uh, a recent article says, also shares that interest and has quite an extensive personal private library on books on UFOs and ETs. So there are open-minded people out there, uh, there's just so very, very few left from Eisenhower's day. Yes, and thank goodness you pulled out everything that you could to present to us. It's fascinating. So here he is with several encounters, it sounds like, quite possibly. But you also talk about an entity, and now I can't remember the name. It begins with an S. And tell us that about that entity. Yes. Okay, while well, Eisenhower was still uh, working for... President Truman, in some manner, uh, regarding Army uh, Chief of Staff or um, Army Intelligence, there was a UFO, if we want to call it that, an alien ship, really, and a pretty good-sized one that came down and settled pretty peacefully in Aztec, New Mexico, um, just outside Aztec, actually, out in the uh, desert, and it landed in a canyon. It may have scraped the side wall of the canyon, which caused enough damage to disable it. Uh, and so there were some eyewitnesses. They contacted the Air Force. There was a contingent that came out, and they found this almost like perfectly intact big ship uh, in the bottom of this canyon on, I think, tripod legs. Well, they took, uh, according to this 1989 Defense Intelligence Agency document, uh, a scientific team was brought in, and they had all kinds of welding materials and acetylene torch and everything to try to crack it open and get in there because they couldn't find a, a doorway or a hatch yeah. of some kind. And eventually they managed to uh, get their hand in an opening and um, uh, I think pressed some buttons actually and opened the bottom hatch of the ship and the uh, military went in and they found uh, three of the dead gray aliens that we were referring to earlier at the controls but uh, human-like beings uh, in a kind of hibernation state uh, within another part of the craft, like they were part of a long journey and they were to be awakened at the right time. Well, the scientists botched the revival of these human beings except for one adult, and he spoke English, and he gave interviews and was in American custody from 19, uh, March of 48 to August of 1949. His name was Sedimus. Well, who had access and was in charge of Army 
uh, intelligence-sensitive uh, matters back then, none other than Dwight Eisenhower. So uh-huh. when we talk about Eisenhower meeting some human-like aliens in 1954, it seems extremely unlikely he would just be rushed right out to the airport and greet them, having no clue they were going to land, having not been checked out thoroughly. So we can possibly put two and two together here and say it might have been in 54 the return of Sedimus, this friendly English-speaking um, human-like being that was uh, rescued from 1948's Aztec incident, and he spoke to American military brass, and that means <laughs> almost undoubtedly Dwight Eisenhower. Yeah, so he was kind of the right person to bring into the fold in 1954, and he wouldn't freak out because he's right. It's had a bit of conjecture, I'll admit, but it makes sense. They were just uh, uh, an old friend came by for a visit and brought his friends with him. Uh, now, I, I admit that's a bit speculative, but you just wouldn't. The, the Secret Service would never allow the president to go out to an air base and mingle with alien beings without knowing what was going on, thoroughly checking them out, and possibly this was the result of a, or about a year-long communication process through binary code and some high-frequency radio waves is what I'm told, and I put in the book, to set up this uh, premeditated visit at Edwards. And that's why Eisenhower flew about uh, 2,000 miles across the country to go play golf in the desert when he normally just went down the coast to Augusta, Georgia. So the whole thing is starting to uh, come together quite nicely. It makes sense. I sure hope the book prods more people to come forward like with a grandfather story or they've got an old file that they've got or someone within the government themselves leaked something out. I think uh, I'm pretty confident my book will be confirmed. I think so. And now have you done any FOIA requests? Have you tried to get any documents on this from the government? I figured that I would receive such a stone wall, I'd better play it cool and not let them know <laughs> I'm digging into this. Uh, I don't uh, trust the response. You know, you have those men in black that show up. I don't need that in my life. Yeah, I've never really. seen a UFO or an alien. Uh, I've never seen a man in black. So um, I'm uh, perfectly content to just keep researching and writing. <laughs> you don't want that knock at your door. Yeah, I don't That's blame right. you. I don't blame you one bit. Well, I was just curious because, I, I mean, it's been such a long time and with the Pentagon claiming they're going to release their own report at some point and also admitting that they do have alien technology and also the Tic Tac sighting and all that stuff, why keep this undercover anymore? You know, it's so many years ago. Right. Why we have to remember there were a few sci-fi movies back in Eisenhower's day, but for the most part, uh, alien intelligence and visitation was not mainstream, and people didn't watch uh, uh, programs and films back in those days in general on aliens. Uh, the Day the Earth Stood Still was pretty good, but it was considered creative fiction. Uh, today we've gone through things like My Favorite Martian to Mork and Mindy to E.T. and uh, Close Encounters and these things. It's all part of a national mindset now. I think we're much more braced up for this emotionally and intellectually to accept that we're not alone, plus all of these UFO sightings and videos you can see on the Internet. Uh, it adds up now. I don't think people will freak out like they would have in 1954. 
I agree. I think that we're way beyond that. And, and because, again, the military's already come out and confirmed it, and they're also doing a whole PR campaign basically changing UFOs to UAPs, trying to get rid of the baggage associated with UFOs. Now, once mm-hmm. in a while, you hear Tucker talk about it on Fox News. So, yeah, it's it's been it's been brought into our consciousness, and and there is some level of the mainstream press, although I can't stand them, but they are starting to talk about it a little bit more. And so they're all part of it, you know, the training that we're getting over this. But you know, so many of us already knew this was going on for so many years that aliens are in our ancient history, they're in our recent history, and here you are bringing us all the facts of, of how this came together in Eisenhower's life and the country's life. So, you know, it just it makes sense that they would declassify this, and, and I'm sure it will prove you right with your book, no doubt. So, my goodness, so much to take in here. That's the other thing about your book. You had so much information in there. It was great. So many clues that you pulled out of different articles and books that made so much sense, so many people that had a story to tell about this. Now, was there anything you want to get into about the alien bodies and what they did with that, where they brought them? And then there's also the story about Vermont. I don't want to forget that one. Uh, yeah. the, the story about uh, which? Vermont. Who? Oh, yes. Um, in the uh, documents from 1989, the leaked uh, Defense Intelligence Agency documents, which I feel are real, uh, I'm sure there's somebody who will dispute that. Every time documents are released, released to the public, someone cries, fake, fraud, hoax, and they've barely even seen them or they nitpick them to death. Uh, the documents do make a reference to Kirtland Air Force Base of Texas, and that's a mistake. But in going through other government documents in my research, I found other mistakes, and those documents were uh, perfectly acceptable. Secretaries and stenographers are not perfect. They make mistakes, and they go through first and second and even third drafts of documents. Uh, Just one quick example. Uh, The president's own secretary wrote down, well, uh, while golfing in Palm Springs, he was at the uh, Thunderbolt Country Club. Well, it was the Thunderbird. She didn't mm-hmm. get the name right, but does that mean uh, we throw out all of uh, his White House records because the secretary right. made a mistake? But anyway, to get to the point, uh, it says that Sedimus the alien was kept in captivity at Los Alamos Laboratories in New Mexico. But for some reason, in the summer of 1949, they moved him to an Army intelligence site um, in rural Vermont. Now, what's that got to do with Dwight Eisenhower? Well, guess who loved to go to rural Vermont and go hunting and fishing? Dwight Eisenhower. And there's a a hotel room named after him there. There's a fish hatchery named after Dwight Eisenhower in rural Vermont. I mean, uh, the the documents make clear that Army intelligence and people went to speak to him, interrogated him, recorded uh, his answers. And so, again, uh, Eisenhower just happened to disappear from his job at Columbia University in New York City for a couple of months in the middle of the summer of 1949. And eventually the alien was taken back to, uh, I believe, uh, Holloman or Kirtland Air Force Base, one of those bases in New Mexico, where he was returned to his own kind, kind of like the forerunner of the movie E.T. He phoned yeah. home, I guess, and they came and picked him up. Oh, my That's gosh. Incredible. Yeah. I mean, these these beings are so advanced, and obviously they were more than gracious to act like they were our prisoner, I would imagine. 
it would have been easy for this uh, this entity to to leave at any time. When I was doing another radio show, a man called in and said this Aztec New Mexico crash was real. I was part of the government, and I can tell you only some things. He 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 didn't want anyone showing up at his door either. But he said uh, the communications device from the ship that was recorded or recovered rather from uh, Aztec New Mexico was brought to Sedimus, the human-like alien, in exchange for fixing it up and getting it working to communicate with his race. Sedimus was officially declared privately to be uh, an honored diplomat of his race, a con- probably a kind of ambassador from his race to uh, the United States, and was given uh, the uh, all the courtesy of a regular diplomat, and that this is probably the device that was used to set up, if he left it behind, uh, the eventual 1954 uh, Eisenhower encounter in California. Okay. Oh, my goodness. All of these puzzle pieces. I mean, it, I can just see you writing this and just having all these pieces start yeah. to fall into place. It must have been so exciting. Uh, it was, and here's another one that kind of blew my mind. You asked me, were there any surprises? I told you one, and here's the other. Have you ever discussed on the air the Georgia Guidestones in the heart of a farm in the middle of Georgia? Yeah, we haven't discussed it, but we oh. know about it. Yeah, so how does it's this, this fit in? big monolithic monument that has ten pieces of advice, uh, or uh, like, almost like a top ten list, or ten commandments, somebody calls it. It almost sounds very much like aliens visiting this world were giving you advice on how to control or manage a proper population on planet Earth. And it, it was donated, uh, the money was donated by a man who wanted to be kept anonymous, calling himself R.C. Christian. And uh, here's the surprise for me. He wanted it built in Augusta, Georgia, right where those six Georgia state troopers were based and where Eisenhower had a second home and went to dozens of times. Well, they couldn't find the land in Augusta, so they had to move it to a cow pasture in the middle of the state of Georgia. It's pretty obscure, and sadly people have smeared it with uh, red paint and they think it's something uh, uh, satanic or wicked or uh, goodness knows. Uh, the man who created this uh, wanted his name kept anonymous. It was opened up uh, in 1980, and it just had its 40th anniversary, and people are still puzzling about what it's all about. But I propose in my book that this might have been advice from the extraterrestrials who met with Eisenhower, and they were he was surrounded by these six Georgia State Troopers, I feel, and that they wanted to create some kind of monument or tribute to this amazing event. So uh, there it is, originally slated for Augusta, where Ike uh, was so obsessed with golfing and fishing and such. But what is what about this? Because I, I just saw a piece on the Guidestones, and they were they showed all these security cameras around this thing. Oh, I didn't that, know that. Yeah, and I'm thinking, why would you put security facing the um, Well, uh, like I say, somebody did come in there with some red spray paint and smeared it and did damage to it. Oh, well, that could be. Maybe they want to keep that kind of thing away. I don't know, but there were a lot of security cameras. Now, 
does this have anything to do with population control? Wasn't there some limit on the population number in these Guidestones? Yeah, uh, that was a little scary, wasn't it? On the, uh, the yes. top ten list is a kind of suggestion for you want to manage planet Earth properly, limit your population to this number that they give you. Uh, none of these, I don't think, are commandments, but they're more like suggestions on how to do things and uh, to honor Mother Nature or, you know, nature itself and, and to be good to one another and all of this. And it's in, um, what, about six or seven different languages so that anyone around the world could come there and, and read it and understand what's on this uh, five-sided monument, which has this big uh, square cap to it uh, representing possibly six aliens or six Georgia State Troopers, or six seems to be the magic number involved in this case, as you'll find as you read my book. Right. And, you know, you're the first person that I've I've heard of that can actually make sense out of this, and you've come up with a really good idea as to where it came from, because it's been a mystery yeah, for so you long. Want to, uh, yeah, wouldn't you want to get some kind of monument to this tremendous event? And Definitely. it cost quite a bit of money, and they made it almost uh, indestructible. It's like it could survive uh, earthquakes or, um, well, possibly a terrorist attack or, um, uh, let's say, um, any kind of severe high winds rolling across the, uh, the plains of Georgia. And so um, it makes you think that at least this is a very possible explanation. I cannot prove it uh, concretely, but this... Uh, as a part of what I lay out in my case and, or in my book and try to make a good circumstantial evidence case. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. It fits. It really fits. So <clears throat> I would love to have seen transcripts of the conversations between this alien and our military. Wouldn't you? Oh, wouldn't that be fabulous? Oh, my God. Because he was yeah, there for over a year. Yeah, in 1949, but especially in, in 1954, what did they talk about? Apparently one thing, a couple of eyewitnesses or accounts that got passed down is the aliens wanted President Eisenhower in 54, maybe 55, please stop your atomic bomb detonation program that was going on. And yeah, frankly, it was polluting the, uh, the air, the sea, and the land. And they were very worried about how we were treating our environment which is, once again, a theme that you get on the Georgia Guidestones. Right. Yes. And we've talked to people on the show who were present at nuclear silos when UFOs showed up and shut them down. So we know yeah, that, I've yes, heard that. we've heard this before. Yeah, they, they have quite an interest in us uh, stopping that nonsense. And, and so they, they did do a show of force there and shut everything down. And, and as it was explained to us, um, they have backup after backup after backup for those types of missiles, and everything went down, every single thing. Oh, my. Yeah, pretty interesting. So, yeah, they do have a commitment. These aliens, anyways, have a commitment to, to peace. We've certainly heard of others who have an opposite agenda. But thank Have you heard uh, if Russia or China has experienced these kinds of silo shutdowns that they're kind of trying to get across to us? get rid of these atomic weapons? I think they have. Um, I don't recall if we got into it on that particular interview, but I don't think it was just us. Just as the aliens said uh, that they were contacting other governments, I'm sure they have a similar message for Russia and China and whoever else they got in touch with. So, yeah, they don't like that because not only does it affect our planet, as I hear it was explained 
in different ways, but it, it sets out uh, it it creates these reverberations all through the uh, the solar system when we do things like that. So it's not confined that type of explosion. Well, it was now either as uh, you know from reading the book. Uh, this may have been something that JFK looked into when he became president. Johnson and Nixon as well. If you want to go into that chapter, we can do so. Mm-hmm. Yes, let's talk about that. Because from what we've yeah. heard, it also, Nixon was, was briefed. Um, Clinton was not. So not as much as Nixon was. Nixon seemed to know a lot about all of this. But you may have explained why. Because he was VP for eight years. So. Right. Mm-hmm. But go ahead, tell us about that because it's fascinating about the president's involvement over time with it. Yeah, President Kennedy took over in January of '61, and he had a fair amount of contact with Dwight Eisenhower in the uh, weeks to come. They would talk over the phone, and after the botched Bay of Pigs invasion, which was uh, formulated under Eisenhower, and then uh, uh, it went wrong under Kennedy. Well, the two men got together at Camp David, and again they continued to. Uh, get along quite well. Uh, Ike was an old Army man, and JFK was a young Navy man, but they uh, really became kind of like friends. But anyway, for some reason, about uh, one year to the uh, uh, day of, well, I guess, March of 62, about a month late for the anniversary of the uh, Eisenhower encounter, JFK flew to California, and he always stayed with uh, Peter Lawford, his brother-in-law, at a beach house or at the Los Angeles uh, Beverly Hills Hilton. But for some reason, he insisted on staying out in a house that he rented, just like um, Eisenhower did in 54, and he went out to the desert. Eisenhower would play golf. JFK loved golf just as much, but he didn't golf on his vacation. He made a beeline to Eisenhower's house, in March of 62, and the two huddled for about an hour uh, record show uh, in, like, Ike's uh, den with no one else around, and then they came out and posed for pictures. And then uh, Kennedy is rumored to have had his own uh, extraterrestrial interest and possibly encounter while he was out there in that area. Uh, I wish there was more solid information, some more uh, documentation, but it looks like he had uh, some gaps in his schedule where this story could be true, and I tried to include that in my book. And uh, he probably had a great interest in private. He was a very curious man, and he liked meeting people in person. So uh, that was one factor. And then there's Lyndon Johnson, and this was another uh, uh, surprise that blew my mind. Uh, President Johnson took over in November of 63, around this time in 63, And one of the first things he told the press is, I've got to go see Dwight Eisenhower, even though they had met at the JFK funeral, and they could speak over the phone anytime. So here goes Lyndon Johnson out to Palm Springs, where he meets Eisenhower on the exact 10th anniversary of the Eisenhower encounter with aliens. And I'll backtrack just a bit while researching the story. I put into uh, Google uh, an Eisenhower alien agreement. And I got the words 10-year agreement, and I couldn't find much on that. And I'm wondering, where did that come from? And here on the 10th anniversary, exactly, Lyndon Johnson shows up on uh, Dwight Eisenhower's door in Palm Springs. Uh, Ike was living on a golf course in retirement, and the two of them huddled in private, and there was more gaps in 
LBJ's schedule where he could have uh, done a little uh, extraterrestrial inspection himself. I don't have a rock-solid proof, but I do put uh, some circumstantial evidence in my uh, just about my final chapter in the book. Wow. So we know that they're all briefed on this to a certain degree. And as I mentioned, we were told that Nixon was briefed, again, probably because of his relationship with Eisenhower all those years, and he knew about it anyways. But Clinton mm-hmm. was not. I heard that they did not want to give Clinton this information. Now, I don't know if you've heard that before. I have not. Um, I heard that Carter really pressed for this because he saw a UFO apparently in January 1969 in Georgia, and he said during his 76 campaign for the presidency, uh, I know UFOs exist. I saw them myself, and I'm going to have you know this information turned over to the public so we know what's going on. And he sure clammed up fast. He never released a peep on this, and... Uh, Apparently he was rebuffed. Yeah, so well, that's what I heard scary. was that they did they did give him some information, and then he went into his office and sobbed. So oh. my question to the person that uncovered this was, what was he crying about? Now, Carter was a very religious person. I wonder yes. if whatever they told him uh, conflicted with his religious beliefs in some way. I don't know, but he sobbed. They said he just went in his office and just cried his eyes out. So I'd love to know why, but that's my best guess. <laughs> we all would. Told, no, I've not heard that before. Yeah, that <laughs> that was something that was revealed on our show, and uh, it was quite fascinating. But, again, we kept thinking about this, like what would have made him feel uh, feel like that? What kind of information? Because it's one thing to say, to give people information about advanced technology, okay, that wouldn't make you cry your eyes out. You'd hope that you'd be able to form an alliance with them and get the technology. So what would do it? And I'm thinking it's more maybe religious or about who we really are, you know, who in, who created us, and maybe it's not what he wanted to hear. So, I've yeah. uh, read a number of times that Reagan had his own UFO sighting, he was quite yes. fascinated on this. He might have even had more than one sighting, if you uh, believe some stories out there. And he was briefed fairly early on at Camp David, I think in March of 1981. That would have been about two months into his uh, administration. And that he personally hosted Steven Spielberg at the White House, showed him uh, the movie E.T., the extraterrestrial, and stood up afterwards and said, you don't know how true this movie is. And Spielberg uh, refused comment on that story for many years, but a couple of years ago he admitted in an interview it's completely true and that he said wow. Reagan was not laughing either. Mm. Wow. There you go. Stop well, and there's, think. Yeah, there's good confirmation on that. Jeez. When we think of the Eisenhower encounter, it took place out west in the desert at a remote air base and U.S. Uh, Air Force officials met these landed aliens. What was Steven Spielberg's Close Encounters of the Third Kind movie all about? Going out to a desert air base in the American Southwest and seeing Air Force officials greet landed extraterrestrial beings who would friendly and communicate with them. Now, uh, Spielberg says he admits he got his information he researches things, and he talked to Jacques Vallée, and he heard all kinds of stories. 
I'm suspicious Mr. Spielberg knows a great deal about this that he's not talking uh, publicly, but that's just my opinion. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that he does know a lot more about this than he's willing to say. And they probably told him what he could and could not say. Right. Or could or could not film, uh, too. (laughs) Yes, for sure. Yes. Well, we've certainly learned a lot about the secrets our government keeps. But these secrets are long overdue to be revealed, especially about President Eisenhower. But you're bringing it to light, so thank you for doing what you're doing because – it's time we heard about this, the veracity of these claims and how it comes in from all different sides. It validates it. I feel uh, like I've made a convincing case. If I could get the book into the right hands, like a, a movie producer, Steven Spielberg, if you're listening tonight, i got a project yeah. for you. But uh, right. uh, I thank you for the kind remarks and all the nice reviews that I've read online and the public is reacting positively. I think everyone's curious because we've all heard this story. I heard it a number of times and I got so fed up waiting for a book to come out. Like I said, I just decided to do it myself and it took many (laughs) years to piece it together and uh, let's hope it uh, is a big hit. You've done a great job. There's no question about that. Yeah, I think this is a blockbuster really. I mean, it's just so well done because you're great investigator and it, it, you again you found things that i don't even know still don't even know how you found them but it just came to you i think to put one piece together after another and it's it's a brilliant book and there, there's no doubt in my mind that this really did happen and i'm interested to know a little bit more about the description of the aliens because you said they were human looking nordic but were they super pale also uh that is a good question, and I'm curious myself. We can go to two different documents. One, that 2017 leaked document from 1989. I think it was probably a briefing document for the incoming President George H.W. Bush is what that was. Who leaked it exactly, I'm not sure. But they mentioned that uh, uh, in that document, human-type aliens were one of the uh, four main ones that are coming to planet Earth. And uh, they can have, I think they said, a yellowish-gray skin tone and not a lot of hair. And that seemed to be backed up by a 1954 Army uh, manual for UFO recovery by the Army Intelligence Corps that they were uh, trained in this fashion. Uh, the date on that document is April of 54, right after the uh, ET encounter of February 19, 1954, and talking about how they've got to get this material, any crash or any alien, scooped up and get them away from the public to avoid a panic. And it again mentions human-like beings that had only a little fuzz on top, like they didn't have much hair, and they had human-like features. I speculate that uh, an alien from another planet might have different respiratory uh, features, like a wider nose or bigger lungs, therefore a bigger chest. Uh, the aliens were said to be about five feet tall at the most, so maybe four foot, eight, nine, ten, somewhere in there. Uh, and right. uh, I want to know, were they wearing spacesuits? Were they naked? <laughs> Did they have uh, male and female genders? Were women treated equally? Uh, that I'm still not clear about. And uh, if they adorned themselves with hats or helmets or tattoos or jewelry, <laughs> it's still a yeah. bit of a mystery. That Good is, question. it is, and it's and it's our history too. I mean, this is what frustrates me because mm-hmm. I think, you know, we're really entitled to know this. It's a part of our history, 
So I do hope those documents get declassified and it proves you right. That that would be so amazing. <laughs> it really would be great. So we're all hoping that the truth will come out and all of the secrecy around UFOs can go away. I mean, we do know the deep state's got their fingers on this and they want the technology and they've had the technology. But there's so much more to this than technology. And I think it's if President Eisenhower were alive today, he would humanize all of this and instead of making it all about a big technology run. What do you think? Well, what you said Sounds in the book also. That I, was gonna say uh, that. I will uh, stress to add that we can't lump all extraterrestrials as human-like or friendly. There could be some that are... Uh, rotten and devious and therefore it's extra important that maybe we keep them at bay and hope that they adhere to any sort of secret agreement that uh, there are these little gray ones that seem to abduct and probe people and uh, they don't have empathy chips i guess you would say they're uh, philip corso you remember the day after roswell colonel corso yes. who knew eisenhower said it was his understanding the grays are what he called bio robots that they were created by an intelligent race to kind of do the dirty work of, let's say, humanoid-type uh, aliens who were kind of friendly, but they couldn't be everywhere at once. So they created uh, this set of gray creatures. That's why they all look identical, as if punched out of a mold or, uh, uh, or out of a cookie cutter. So uh, it, it starts to make sense, but we sure would like the government to come forward. Just go ahead and tell us now. I know. We've grown up a lot, haven't we? (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. There's a lot to it because Eisenhower's granddaughter is even aware that this took place. Right. She supports that. Pardon me? She supports the story. She really believes that her great-grandfather, I think it was, Laura Eisenhower, uh, says that uh, he really did meet with aliens. She says she has talked to people who tell her some things, and she's convinced, too. Right. It certainly aren't going to prep up something like that for the children just to have something to say. There has to be a validation to it. The family seemed to be a very close family, so... I would feel that she would certainly know what was going on, even though it's handed down. Uh, Shirley MacLaine, the famous actress, feels that the story is true, and one of her sources is the former uh, Minister of Defense of Canada. It would be our equivalent to Defense Secretary, who said, Uh yes, Eisenhower really met with these creatures, uh, these beings, and it really did happen. And it's like, well, come on, people, wake up in America. This is not a fantasy or, you know, a fictional story. I didn't make it up. I try to use as many facts as possible to support. I know it's a bit of a mind blower to people at first, but if you please read the book, I think I can sway you. Yeah, I agree. That's for sure. Definitely. Yes. No, it just makes so much sense. I mean, we all know that there's civilizations on other planets, universes, dimensions, and it's, you know, what I found so exciting about what you wrote is this is a true E.T. encounter. I mean, we hear from so many people saying, oh, no, they're not from other planets. They're from other dimensions. Well, I disagree. I think that it's both. I think there are beings that come here from other dimensions, but there are also E.T.s that come from other solar systems, universes, whatever. So it was I, I quite agree. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was really great to read a story which says these. This is where they came from. 
They came from another planet. And this is not about interdimensional beings. It's just a whole different thing. Not that they can't be combined in some way, but it's very different when you talk about it like this. And it's right. good. They came down out of the sky in five different ships. So if you're interdimensional, would you really materialize uh, that way? Maybe, I suppose. You, you might just, uh, you know, plant yourself on terra firma in, uh, on a, uh, a runway and say, here we are. What would you need with a spaceship if you are interdimensionally traveling? But I'm not an expert. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's possible that they use different ways to travel from other dimensions to here, and it could look like not necessarily a ship, but a lot of people see lights that are pulsing, and they don't look like ships. And I wonder if that's the difference with interdimensionals, because Mothman... Mm. You know, very famous, uh, it started out in West Virginia here in this country, but Mothman was, the people who saw Mothman first saw something in the sky. But they didn't describe it as a ship. They described it as a big light, like a big red light. So I think it's that's more talking about what interdimensional stuff is about and how they travel is different. But these, like you mentioned, these were real, what we would call spaceships, metal spaceships. Not a metal we know. That's correct, and they were uh, so advanced that they dazzled even Air Force technicians who were very wise in aerodynamics and possibly mm-hmm. even gifted us one of the ships. According to one of the stories, Air Force men were allowed to pick it up. It was lightweight, and they lugged it uh, and rolled it over on its side, and that was part of the, the just everything that just dazzled them and blew their minds in, in this friendly communication. It was a fairly a pretty friendly chit-chat. It just didn't go well when they made themselves disappear and reappear. That pushed them over <laughs> the edge, I'm afraid. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't you freak out today if you saw that? I mean, it was understandable yeah. that the president thought, we just can't have this now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can see it now. Yeah. I, I mean, I can imagine. And again, as you mentioned, this was very close to the debut of War, War of the Worlds and and all those other things that where people would be afraid and but we're right. not at that place anymore but where we are at is a place where the technology is more important to the deep state than you know how we feel about it so even though we feel we're entitled to know the truth about who's visiting our planet who has bases here and why uh, they don't really feel compelled to tell us anything i wonder and if they President don't well, uh, would tell us today yeah, I don't know if they'll ever come back after we turn them down, but if they are friendly and they are monitoring us, maybe somehow, someday, we'll hear from them again. Well, I hope so. It's one thing that PK and I brought to other guests' attention. It's like, well, if they're so far advanced and they're capable of teaching us positive things, you know, like healing and self-awareness and things. Well, why not just do it? They don't have to go through our government. They can just come straight to us. And then they, the response that we often get is, well, they're doing it. Well, I don't think they're doing it quite enough. So that's, that's what we say here at Supernatural Girls. Look, if you've got something positive to teach us and you're an ET, then make an effort to find people on the ground who are not related to the government but who could carry this information forward. That would be a very positive thing. 
But like you said, they might be just continuing to adhere to a very old agreement that was made when our consciousness was quite different. Sounds reasonable to me. Yeah. Gosh. Ah, this is just great. I love the story. Don't you love this, PK? (laughs) You remember light, right? Oh, yes. I I definitely do. You know, it's just incredible to see so many things that have been, let's say, followed the breadcrumbs. It's all out there. It's just gathering it up and getting to the right space at the same time. Incredible. Well, I hope to piece together some more information on President Nixon, who may have known plenty, and that uh, that would be my next book. Maybe you can have me on next year if I can get it all uh, slotted together, just like the Eisenhower puzzle. Sounds like a great idea. Yeah. Well, yes, at the drawing board to the nth degree for the next year. (laughs) I know, really. You're like a detective. You know, once you get a good mystery, you've got to get to the bottom of it. That's great. That's right. That's right. I've been keeping busy. I'm not uh, all that extroverted anyway, so it works out perfectly to kill this COVID virus uh, pandemic this year by staying home, reading and researching and and writing and, and polishing my next book. So uh, I hope to stay healthy. I hope you two stay healthy and all the listeners. And we'll get through this and hopefully have a really great new year. And uh, we'll have some revelations maybe from uh, the Pentagon, as you uh, mentioned. Well, let's hope be- for all of that. But, Paul, how can people get a hold of you? Because we have quite a big audience, not just here, but in other countries. And somebody may have more information about this. How can they reach you? Well, I'm on Twitter, and you can catch me on Facebook, maybe at the Paul Blake Smith author page. I got a special one for the Eisenhower encounter. Uh, I just went ahead and called that page President Eisenhower's Close Encounters, and people chime in with uh, information, or I try to put in uh, interesting tidbits, some of that are in the book, and then some new data that I wasn't able to fit in. There's actually more, uh, but uh, it's, I've got a lot of positive response there. And then I'm on Pinterest, LinkedIn, and uh, did I mention Twitter? I've been doing some tweeting lately. Uh, I find it a little better, a little easier for me to communicate on Facebook. That's probably the better one. And I've been trying to uh, recently wrote an article that will be uh, apparently appearing in uh, a United Kingdom uh, UFO site and that I'm trying to get uh, an outreach to maybe open-minded people in Europe and Japan would be nice too. That I think people around the world are really fascinated by this and they just want the truth. And I think we all suspect it, that we are being visited and uh, it's being hidden maybe possibly for our own good, Uh, the government's being protected. Maybe there's something else out there that we don't know about that's not so friendly. You never know. Uh, But you kind of hope that uh, drip, 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 they will release documents and information as the years go by. At the very least, you know, give us a little piece at a time so we can uh, not freak out all suddenly in a traumatic uh, uh, release of uh, information, film footage, and old documents and everything. Uh, We'll take that, won't we? Uh, Just uh, an occasional leak once a month, maybe? That would be nice. (laughs) It would be nice to get anything confirmed. I mean, I know they've gone down this road a little bit, and they are confirming things, 
but I think part of the issue is how do they continue to maintain ownership of it? And what President Eisenhower did was he just said to them, no, you can't do this here and appear to everybody wantonly. We've got to have a, a treaty that he negotiated. So, you know, I but I do think for the most part people would be accepting of it. I think they would just, I mean, it's kind of logical to think that way, that there's extraterrestrials and they come here. Why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they want to see what kind of nonsense we're up to? Well, we're a fascinating race. We've got fascinating flora and fauna, and what we're doing to the environment is probably of great interest, and even our atomic testing, that was uh, basically stopped, but other nations may uh, breach that and uh, uh, set off atomic devices. It's kind of tough in this day and age to know what other uh, more closed-off countries are doing. But it is all of interest, I'm sure, to aliens in this particular time to uh, come and visit and see us. Uh, I uh, link it to um, our own American scientists who pack up their gear, fly to, let's say, Africa or South America, and study uh, the ecosystem, take samples, write everything down, and then they get back in their plane and fly to America and issue a report. Why can it not be the same for extraterrestrials on another planet to go on a scientific expedition study us here, then fly back to their own planet. Make sure they've been doing that for years. We just weren't privy to all the Mm -hmm. information. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm sure that there are, you know, there are races that are not as friendly and probably don't like us very much and could be dangerous to us and in some cases have been dangerous to us because Mm -hmm. there are so many races we've been told that are already here and are visiting. So, yeah, who's to say they're not all love and light and, like, maybe they can't stand yeah. us. I don't know. <laughs> We're such that a might be opera. the sticking point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they watch us like, a, you know, we watch television and get, a, you know, yeah. get enjoyment out of watching the predicaments that people get themselves into on TV. We're yeah. kind of like that for them. We're a reality show, huh? We're the true yeah. show. <laughs> That's exactly it. That's exactly it. That we are. Exactly. <laughs> so what else can you tell us that's not in the book? You mentioned that there is there are some things you couldn't fit into the book. Can you think of a couple you can share with us? Well, um, partly would be the Nixon uh, encounter with Jackie Gleason. I put a thumbnail sketch of that in the book. I think there was much more to that. It just happened to fall on the exact 19th anniversary of the Eisenhower encounter at an airbase with armed guards around. And that's what wow. I'm expanding upon in my latest uh, research, and I hope to flesh that out into a full-length book. Uh, we'll see what happens. But I think there was a good deal more to that tale. And, uh, hey, if anyone's listening in tonight and you have any inside information, be sure to contact me or uh, uh, Supernatural Girls, and they'll send uh, the information to me. And I want to emphasize that you can get my book at uh, www.foundationsbooks.net, or you can go to Amazon.com, and they've got it in all kinds of e-book form in Kindle and Nook and all of that good stuff. And they're reasonable prices, too. I'm amazed by uh, how quick and easy it all is, just one click of a link and you pay for this, and you get it on your phone, and you can read it uh, anywhere. So I hope folks really enjoy it and uh, that we get some more stories that, uh, if you find me on Facebook or um, uh, Twitter, et cetera. 
Yeah, because that's what it takes. You know, it takes people speaking up and saying, hey, yes, there is a family member who gave me a story, and then passing that on to you. And, and so, yes, if there's anybody out there who has information on these experiences with President Eisenhower, any anybody else, any other of these crashes, like the Aztec crash or Roswell that's so well-known, any of these, contact Paul. He is the man, and you can give him your story or information, and then Paul will go, go on his holy quest to <laughs> get the truth <laughs> there to all of us. No question about that. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. But how much time did it take you to write this book? Oh, it took years. Uh, I've collected information. i got this little folder. Uh, and I've got uh, things on, hooked up on my computer and uh, data, and I scribble stuff down real fast. If I'm uh, checking out library books or uh, books of my own from a book sale, and just any variety of source that has this, you have to be open-minded but a wee bit skeptical about some things. Uh, some people have gotten a little creative, shall we say, in their uh, interpretation of uh, some matters. You have to be discerning, and I try to... Um, uh, whittle down a little uh, fat from the meat, and so uh, you must have credibility with you know your sources. So I try to put that in a bibliography at the end. And for those uh, who are not familiar with the book yet, I'm sure you will be. There's uh, about uh, 30 pages of this uh, Defense Intelligence Agency leaked document. I know it's been on the internet for years, but you can read it in paper form in the very back end of the book. And that makes it more valuable. Like I say, I try to give everybody their money's worth. Well, you sure have in this book. It's tremendous. Yeah. Again, the name of it, everybody, is President Eisenhower's Close Encounters. The author is Paul Blake Smith. And, Paul, thank you so much for all of the time that you spent with us tonight. So great. I uh, thank show. you in return for airing uh, my story and saying kind things about the book. And I hope to hook up with you next year on uh, maybe a President Nixon's Close Encounters. Okay. That would be great. We're all yeah. Set. We're set. We're ready. We're going to pencil you right in. As soon as you've got it done, <laughs> we want you back on the show. So, everybody, That's next week um, we will be back with another great show. I think we're talking about moon mysteries, but we're also talking about getting Maria Shaw back on the show to check in with us on this election craziness, give us her latest predictions. So until then, we'll see you on the Blue Highway. Good night, everyone. Good night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural Girl.